Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome into a Monday edition of the second half of Sports Talk. It's Steve Geller along with Charlie Long running master control. Uh, getting into a bunch of stuff this hour. Going to talk to uh, Koki Riley, LSU baseball and football writer for the Times-Picayune and the Advocate. LSU baseball sitting 7-1 and one after their weekend. Uh, getting ready for their first road trip of the season. Uh, first up will be... In Houston, Wednesday to take on Rice, and then they're at the Minute Maid Park for a series that involves uh, the Longhorns, UL Lafayette, and one other team that I'm forgetting at the moment. But the Tigers will be uh, there for the weekend series. And I, overall, I like that. You're getting a nice mix of different competition right off the bat instead of, you know, when you, you get into SEC play, obviously you get those teams uh, in for a three or four game series. Uh, LSU's been getting a bunch of different competition, able to go three and one this past weekend. Stony Brook handing the LSU Tigers their first loss of the year. Good old Stony Brook, a team that we remember obviously from the playoffs from years ago that did in the Tigers. Well, they, this year they were able to hand LSU their first loss of the season. Uh, also having a tough time over the weekend, the LSU men's basketball team going down to Mississippi State. That was not a pretty outing after the uh, LSU had built up so much momentum after beating back-to-back ranked opponents, then coming up flat against Mississippi State. Uh, coming, not coming through either. The Pelicans uh, talk about rough outings. Uh, you just talked about it last uh, hour with Christian Clark. The, the Pels have dropped two in a row, and it just hasn't looked right on the court. Uh, game one coming back from the All-Star break against Houston was great. But, man, after that, Charlie, it's been a rough go for this team. Yeah, and it's frustrating because this two-game losing streak, you just can't afford it. It's the third longest losing streak in the Western Conference. Ouch. Yeah, just take that for what it is. That's how tight the West is. I, I mean, you can't afford a losing streak at all. And if you look at where the Pelicans are at right now, they're at the seventh spot. And the play-in tournament in the West is going to be a bloodbath. Especially if, you know, the eight, nine, ten seeds stay what they are. I think that the Mavericks are going to make a late push as well for a top six team. So that's going to be another team that the Pelicans are going to have to compete with to try and miss the play-in tournament. It was interesting that Mike brought up, we've gotten texts from listeners as well, if they are a play-in team, does Willie Green get on the hot seat? Especially if they don't make the playoffs. Because yeah. this is the healthiest the Pelicans have been in years. You've had a lot of games, and knock on wood, obviously, with Zion and B.I. playing together. They're on a great winning pace right now. It's just the West is so good. It's frustrating because the Pelicans may, in fact, they're still 16 ways away, wins away. They may, in fact, break that 50-win mark for the second time in franchise history. 
but they still got a lot to work, a lot of work to do. And I think if they do break the fifty win mark, they'll miss the play in tournament. Just oh, I, I they mean, should right? You should absolutely. But the West is so deep that even if you get to like forty eight wins or forty seven, anything around forty five, you're almost guaranteed a play in spot. That's how good the Western Conference is. What's what wild is, you know, two games ago we were riding high, sitting in fifth place, and now you look, the Pelicans are in seventh, and in that play-in tournament talk, and that's definitely somewhere where we've talked about all season long where we want to the team to avoid that. I'm sure they want to obviously avoid that as well. We, we've been there, done that before. It's time for New Orleans to rise above that and get into the playoff scenario. But you mentioned the, the Wild Wild West is exactly that. And if you win you win 50 games, Charlie, and end up being a play-in team, there's no way in heck that Willie Green would get fired. You want a fun fact about the East and the West? Yeah, what you got? The difference between the Celtics and the Cavaliers, the top two teams in the Eastern Conference, is bigger than the difference between the Timberwolves and the Mavericks, the one through eight of the West. Hmm. Just take that for what it is. Right, so more tightly contested, like you said, it's a bloodbath in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, the Mavericks are the eight seed. They're seven games behind the Timberwolves. And then right in the middle, that Kings, Suns, Pelicans, they're all six and a half games behind. So if the Pelicans do bounce back and they can take down the Knicks, they'll be right back in that conversation for a five seed. It's it's just rough because the Kings are on a three-game winning streak. The Suns have just won their last game last night. And now the Pelicans, with a two-game losing skid, have kind of slid down a little bit. It's not all doom and gloom. The Mavericks also lost uh, last night. So a lot of teams around them are you know, winning and moving up the standings, but a lot of teams also are losing and not jumping them uh, because the difference between the Pelicans and the Mavericks is a half game with the 7 and the 8 spot. So a lot still to be decided in the final 25 games. The Pelicans just need to figure it out, bounce back. If they can take down the Knicks, an, an injured Knicks bunch, by the way, tomorrow night, and then they have they wrap up that five-game and seven-day stretch. If they can sweep those two games and go 3-2 and two in that stretch, it's still salvageable, right? If they lose both games, then you're really in trouble. Uh, they just need to bounce back ASAP. Friday is home against the Pacers. Wednesday is at Indiana. Right, so it's Wednesday at Indiana. That wraps up right, the five right. games in seven days, so... Uh, if they go three and two in that stretch, it, as I said, it's not the end of the world. If they lose both those games and go one and four, that's when you start to panic about this Pelicans team and their chances at avoiding the play-in tournament. What's rough is too is right now the Pels are on a pretty long stint of facing Eastern Conference teams. We having we're not getting back to those Western Conference po- opponents for a while, but that's good. That's, you, I figured you want to play them to make some ground in the West. No, I mean, and you would, but well, no, no, I, I think you want the West to beat up on itself. You want them to. <laughs> just kill each other and have the standings keep shifting, you know, one win streak, one loss streak, and uh, the West teams keep losing around you. That's what you want. You want to beat up on the East. The issue is that you they aren't haven't beating been. up on the East. No, I think they're, what, 10-6 and six against Eastern Conference opponents. You lost the, the Heat. You lose to the Bulls for the second time this season. You get swept by them. You have plenty of games left against the Eastern Conference. You just got to take advantage of it. And, I mean, the next three games you play against the Knicks and the Pacers twice. So, yeah, the Pelicans have a lot of work to do against the Eastern Conference. Let the West beat up on itself and get back into your winning ways, and then you will see where you can go from there. A little bit tough. They had to deal, obviously, Najee Marshall was dealt a one-game suspension following the altercation against the Miami Heat. Uh, still got two more games left on Jose Alvarado's uh, three-game ban, so he will miss tomorrow's game as well. You know, the Pelicans are actually two games into a uh, nine-game stretch against Eastern Conference teams. Right, it's pretty wild. So, I, I mean, I mentioned the Pacers back-to-back games, but you also have the Raptors, then the 76ers, the Hawks, and the Cavaliers. 
Cavaliers are obviously the toughest team in that stretch. The 76ers are having their injury issues with Joel Embiid. The Hawks are one of those teams that I put in the same kind of category as the Bulls where they're not good, but they are fighting for player but like play problem, tournament right? yeah. Yeah, spots. The Pacers are solid. The Knicks dealing with a lot of injury issues. The Raptors are really bad. You should take care of business against them. Uh, so in this stretch for the Pelicans, they have to make a lot of headway against these Eastern Conference teams because then you go back to the West Oof, and you right. have a matchup against the Clippers on March 15th. And then I'm looking later in March, uh, you look at the Oklahoma City, Milwaukee, Boston, Phoenix. That's a rough stretch right there. The same exact stretch yeah, that right. you had. That's Those ridiculous. three games that you had back in January, you have it again in March. I think that's really weird. But then you close out the year against, as you said, the Suns. You have two games against them in a one-week stretch. And then the final three games you play, the Kings, the Warriors, and the Lakers. All teams that are going to be vying for playoff positioning. So, the Pelicans, final 25 games, as Christian Clark said last hour, a lot, a lot, a lot to play for. And a lot to still discover about this team. Uh, because, you know, if they make it into that play-in tournament, it's going to be really disappointing. I feel like the emotion has been there. The effort has been there from this team. It just seems to be live or die by the three right now. And if they're not making the three, guys, you got to get off it and move on to something else. But, man, they just kept hammering away from deep. You got to play to your matchups, too. We mentioned <laughs> it last hour. Why weren't you going into the paint more against a Bulls team that isn't great at defending the paint? They don't have any real top tier rim protector, like, you know, a Rudy Gobert or a Victor Wimbanyama or something like that. So they had Nikola Vucevic, who's a great veteran, a great offensive player. Go at him. What are you doing? The threes aren't falling. Stop jacking them up. What are you like? It was pretty. It's frustrating. part of the frustration for right. the Pelicans for sure. We're going to take a break from sports talk right now, and from some Pelicans talk. We'll get into LSU baseball. Koki Riley, who writes for the Times Picayune Advocate, joins us talking about the Tigers in their weekend series after they went three and one. Coming back with more right here on Sports Talk on WWL. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the Line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. LSU baseball closing out the weekend with a victory over Stony Brook, the only team able to give them a loss so far. Uh, we're happy to welcome in now Koki Riley, LSU baseball and football writer for the Times, Picayune, and The Advocate. How you doing this Monday, Koki? Doing great. How's it going, guys? Doing all right. Uh, LSU able to wrap up the series with a win over Stony Brook. Uh, came out uh, gangbusters right away. But, man, that Stony Brook squad was definitely pesky, able to tack on a ton of rums, runs and make it a much closer game than I really think it should have been, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the reasons why Stony Brook was able to put 10 runs on the board and kind of stay, kind of sort of stay in the game, at least keep the game alive, you know, 
um, not have it end in six, not have it end in you know seven or eight innings is because I, I think part of it just the, the fact that you know LSU wasn't pitching necessarily their best guys in this game. It was the fourth game in four days, and you know Micah Buckner had a very tough outing, and I think Stony Brook's too good of a team to just you know close out with the bottom half of your bullpen in terms of winning the game by ten runs, but. Uh, 10 or more runs, but I mean, they still won by eight and they still won very comfortably. They more or less blew them out. And um, I think that's more, I think that's kind of what you wanted to see. And, and um, when, when you're facing a team like Stony Brook and, um, and especially after like the offensive struggles they had in the middle two games of the series, um, the fact that, you know, they got back to hitting the ball again on Sunday, I think that was kind of the real takeaway of the game. Going back to that first meeting against Stony Brook, Koki, a big negative of the weekend, I think overall, was just another poor outing you've seen from pitcher Thatcher Hurd, only lasting four and a third, uh, giving up three earned runs. Uh, what's been the talk about Hurd? I know, obviously, uh, they're not giving up on him just yet as their Friday night guy. Yeah, um, with Hurd, I'm, I'm curious to see if he actually does start on Friday against Texas. That's a big matchup against a ranked team, yeah. um, an SEC caliber opponent, and uh, at Minute Maid Park. And the last time Thatcher Hurd p- pitched against Texas last year, he actually pitched pretty well. Um, but uh, we'll see this time around when you have a guy with, like Luke Holman, who um, you could theoretically just move up a day. He'll have probably plenty of rest. He only threw 77 pitches on Saturday. Um, and when and given how well Luke well Luke Holman has pitched this year, I think it's it, it would be interesting to see whether they actually make that move um, and have uh, and have Holman throw the Friday and not Hurd. But as just for Hurd, as for Hurd, like he's just been really inconsistent, not just from start to start, from almost from inning to inning. Um, I think it was the first inning uh, of, of on this this Friday. It was a one two three perfect inning, and then. He runs into some trouble, and then he has a good inning, and then he runs into some trouble the next inning, and it kind of it's almost seesaws back and forth for him. Um, I, again, Stony Brook's probably the best team they've played against, and they're a decent offensive team, as we saw with the ten runs that they put up on Monday, on, not Monday, on on Sunday. Um, but in Friday's game, like yeah, I mean, the, he probably that's where he probably shouldn't be giving up as many singles as, as he did in that game, and um, he probably really only should have, should have allowed. Uh, two runs, uh, three, because there was uh, a ball that Josh Pearson misjudged in right field that um, wasn't called an error, but was more or less an error, and that kind of cost him a run. Um, so I, I think his performance it, it was definitely better um, than his than his first start, where he really just fell apart after the first um, after the first eight batters. But I don't think he was amazing either, and. Um, and I certainly don't think he's been as good as Luke Holman has been so far this year. So uh, I think with all those things considered, like that should definitely be in a rotation for this team. He's way too talented. Um, he's proven that he can be uh, one of the best pitchers in college baseball when he's really on. Um, but he, but at least what we from what we've seen so far, like Luke Holman's been the best pitcher, been been, been the best starting pitcher on this team. And I don't think that's really much of a debate, to be honest with you. It's not at all, Koki. But I want to actually look at the bullpen because we've talked about the pitching depth of this year's team and how it was even better than last year. But 
if you're looking at the bullpen and what happened on Sunday, as you said, they didn't throw their best guys necessarily after Javon Coleman, who had another good outing, by the way, and I think he's kind of cementing himself further and further as one of those weekend rotation guys. Uh, four innings pitched, two runs allowed on two hits and six strikeouts. Micah Bucknam, you mentioned he had a rough outing. So did Christian Little. They throw a total of 32 pitches and give up six runs without recording an out. But then... Jay went to a guy that I think he's going to start to trust more and more as the season progresses, and that is the Juco transfer, Fidel Aloa, who gave up a hit, and then he goes six up and six down. So he was outstanding. Once again, he still has a zero ERA on the year uh, early on, and I think that he's going another guy that's going to make a name for himself, as, and Jay Johnson's going to trust him as we go throughout the season as a high-leverage guy out of the bullpen. Fidel, he's just a really solid pitcher and a really good bullpen piece for this team. I mean, the mid-90s fastball, really sharp slider, he pounds the strike zone. Um, there's no question that he's going uh, he's gonna to fill up the zone. And, uh, and you just like his efficiency and his, and, uh, and his really underrated abilities as a pitcher, especially. And um, really under-recruited guy out of high school. Uh, went to junior college for two seasons. Um, the other day talked about how, you know, some of the work he did in the weight room over at the, his JUCO, um, uh, Delta, uh, San Joaquin Delta Community College, if I'm remembering that correctly, um, uh, which apparently is only 15 minutes away from his house. Uh, some of the work he did there really helped his velocity, really helped him kind of become like a, like a prominent JUCO guy. Um, and Jane Johnson said they had a lot of competition actually to bring him into LSU, even though he came here as kind of an under under the radar guy that no one had really heard of. Um, but he's become one of their best. Um, he's become one of their best relievers, and I, I'd say it's him and Gavin Gidger are probably the top two right-handed options they have in this bullpen right now. And it was for the most part a pretty good weekend for uh, their their bullpen as a whole, and, and especially with some of the right-handed guys that they have. And um, obviously. Things didn't go well for them on Sunday, but again, part of that was Micah Bucknam kind of kind of disintegrating in that inning. I mean, he gives up a three-run home run, walks another batter, four runs on him. Uh, Christian Little had some bad luck in that inning, and, and it kind of tailspins. And um, I, I was talking about Josh Pearson's misplay in right field. Uh, Ethan Fry simply lost the ball in the sun, and that scored that that kind of. Uh, opened the floodgates for the other two runs to score. Uh, so Little really only faced two batters. It was like a it was a seeing eye single, and then uh, and then the misfly ball. So I, I'm actually I actually feel still pretty good about Christian Little after these first two weekends. Um, again, he also looked good in the non conference last year. So we don't want to get too too far ahead of ourselves, but we know he has the talent to be uh, like a really ta- a really uh, an important pitcher for this team this year. Um, so I look at him, I look at uh, Sam Dunn, the right-handed reliever who looked pretty good, who's looked really good to start this year, and a guy who's John, who John, Jay Johnson has uh, put a lot of trust in early on. So they just have a lot of options. Um, it's not just for the left-handed side, which is what we've talked about um, kind of endless, endlessly since the beginning of the season. Uh, it's also, you know, they have some right-handed options, and I think Fidel Uyoa is, is uh, kind of the lead uh, lead guy in terms of guys who've stepped up from the right-handed side of the bullpen. Koki, a guy that in the uh, Tigers outfield, in no way, shape, or form am I going to try to compare him to uh, Dylan Cruz, but man, oh man, Paxton Kling, every time I seem to look, he was on base for the Tigers this weekend. Yeah, uh, Paxton, he's seen the ball very, very well right now. In terms of like approach and play discipline, he's probably been 
the most consistent outfielder. He was he was the best, probably the best hitter throughout the entire weekend. If I'm being totally honest, just get in terms of approach and um, putting the ball in play and all that stuff. I still want to see him activate his power more and hit more doubles. Haven't really seen that from him too too much this year, um, but. Other than that, I mean, defensively, he's been amazing. Like, he's – you could argue that he's as good of an athlete as Cruz was out there, maybe even faster than than wow. he was. I mean, he had an incredible catch two weeks ago um, where he was playing in and shading to right field, but then sprinted back and made a, made a catch in deep left center field. Um, and it was just a really, really impressive play, and, it, it, and I – his athleticism was certainly on display there, and I think they're, they're really set in the outfield in terms of the athletes that they have and the range that they can cover. And um, Cruz technically was, um, from a technical standpoint, in terms of like route efficiency and all that sort of stuff, was kind of the perfect center fielder. Um, but I think the ceiling with Kling defensively out there might even be higher than with Cruz. I know that sounds blasphemous, but <laughs> like I, I think Kling is just a fantastic athlete. You look at the uh, Wednesday coming up, they've got a matchup against Rice and then have a little tournament style uh, against the uh, the Houston Foundation Classic, uh, three different clubs there. I guess a good time in this lineup uh, for the season, at least to test this lineup on the road, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's uh, They're going to play five road games in a row, actually. Um, they have Rice on the road Wednesday, and then they play uh, three games at the Houston Classic. Those are um, all uh, neutral site games, at least technically speaking. Right. Uh, they'll play Texas on Friday, UL on Saturday, and then Texas State on Sunday. And then they come back to Louisiana, but they go to Hammond to play Southeastern on pretty sure it's Tuesday of next week, but I, of the next week, but I'm not, I, I have to double check that. It's actually Wednesday. Um, I'm looking at it right now, Koki. It's Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, so that'll be Wednesday. So like they're going to be on the road for a while here. Um, <laughs> then they, before they return home to play Xavier on right. Friday. Um, but yeah, they're, so they're going to be on the road for a little while here. It's going to be an interesting test and they're going to play a much better team than what they played and then who they played uh, so far this season. So I think we're going to get just a better sense of where this team is at. Um, because, you know, you can play these lesser teams, but you really don't know what you have, especially given especially when you add in the fact that it's small sample size. So I don't think we can have any, like, real major takeaways other than maybe some of the stuff that's been going on with the offense that we can talk about in a bit. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it, uh, I'm just really curious to see how they sort of react to uh, some of this better competition, especially with the Texas game on Friday. Listening to Jay's comments after the game against Stony Brook, it was interesting to hear him say it's hard to create a lineup for this team. And if I'm correct, I think 16 players had a plate appearance for the Tigers, position players, um, this just this past weekend over that four-game stretch. And I, it's a good thing that they're getting these young guys at bats early on, but I mean, Coach Johnson's going to have to figure out SEC play is only a few weeks away. Like We got this upcoming weekend in Houston, then they got the weekend series against Xavier, and then you're playing Mississippi State. Now, Mississippi State's kind of a cupcake, so to speak, in the SEC starting things off. It's, it's as cupcake as you can get in the conference is what I'm trying to say. But then you have basically four straight weekends where it is as hard as any schedule in the country, where you're playing Florida, you're playing Arkansas, you're playing Vanderbilt, you're playing Tennessee. So, I mean, by the time conference play gets around, you want to make sure that you have – and depth is a good thing. I'm not 
going to say anything bad about that. But you got to have your starters in line. Uh, the guys that you can count on every single weekend. That you you know every single Friday you're going to have a set lineup. Um, and it seems like Coach Johnson's the amount of depth that they have on this roster is struggling to get there right now. He's got a couple weekends to do it, and I think this upcoming weekend is going to be huge when you're playing a team like Texas. Yeah, um, I think that's that's an interesting comment. I haven't totally thought of it in that like exact way, but I I don't know if John, I, I mean coach. If you think about last year, like let's look at last year's team that won the national championship, like they were tinkering with the lineup. I mean, all the way to Omaha, pretty much. Um, and I mean, Jared Jones and Paxton Kling and Brady Neal. I think Neal might have stuck as a starter if he was still healthy, but um, but Jones and Kling, especially, I mean, they were starters for really the first half of the year. And Josh Pearson was pretty much coming off the bench. And then by the time he gets to Omaha and the, the most important games, it's, you know, Kling's on the bench. He's rarely ever playing. And Jared Jones is rarely ever playing. So, um, I mean, they had trouble getting Kate Beloso at bat to start the year. I mean, Hayden Dravinsky didn't really wasn't a factor until he hit that walk off home run against Ole Miss, and then after that, it all changed for him. So, um, I, 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 I think the depth is more important just because you have the options that not just you know if a guy goes down, you can you you have the you have uh, you have another guy who can come up and. Uh, make an impact, like sort of like what they had last year with the catching situation. But it also just gives you, like, options in terms of the pitchers you're facing, right, and the different, you know, you have, you know, a, a good a good stable of right-handed bats to face against lefties and vice versa, right? So um, I think with that flexibility that they have, um, I think that's more of, more of a good thing with the depth. And I'm not quite as worried about um, – them not having like a set nine, you know, uh, they just need to have, you know, five or six guys who can really hit. And I, 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 I mean, whether you have depth or not, like that's, that's obviously going to be the most important thing. And I think that kind of gets, what gets me to like this weekend, probably the most concerning thing about this weekend and really kind of the first two uh, series in general is just, the inconsistencies of this offense where in one game you get 27 runs um, against VMI. Another game you get 18 runs against Stony, a decent, an okay Stony Brook team. And then, you know, you, you only score two um, against, you know, you, get, you, you only get three hits against Northern Illinois, for example. Right. Uh, like that's just kind of unacceptable. And, um, and they, they've just got to find more consistency with that offense. And it's just going to be harder and uh, more of a roller coaster for them on that side of the ball this year when they don't have as many veterans as they had um, last season. I mean, Gavin Dugas, Cade Beloso, guys who just did a fantastic job of working counts and um, swinging at their pitch and, you know, and pitch selection and pitch recognition and all that stuff that, you know, it, that they, they just kind of mastered hitting at the college level, all these guys to at least a – uh, pretty, uh, to uh, at least a respectable degree, and that now they just don't have that anymore, um, with the exception of you know a Mac Bingham or even a Tommy White. So, uh, it, how quickly those younger guys can grow up—the Brady Neals, the Garrett Joneses, the Paxton Clings—like that kind of is determines the ceiling of this team and what they can do uh, moving forward. And it's not always going to look pretty, but what does it look like at the when they? show up at the SEC tournament when they show up in the NCAA tournament, 
like that's going to determine their season, at least I think. Yeah, no, I think that it's a good point. I, I, I didn't mean to say that depth was bad necessarily for this roster. I yeah. just want to see how Jay Johnson starts to more consistently get his lineup cards ready to go because at times so far early on in the season, you'll see different guys uh, getting opportunities. And that's a good thing when you're playing teams like Stony Brook and Northern Illinois. Uh, but once you get into SEC play, that's, you know, you want to kind of have at least, as you said, six set guys that you can expect game in, game out to produce for you offensively. And one of those guys produced really well. Actually, two of them I want to ask you about real quick. Tommy White obviously hits his first homer of the season, gets six RBI over the weekend. And then uh, Michael Braswell also had six RBI. A really nice bounce back weekend for the South Carolina transfer uh, with a triple, a homer, three runs scored, and then also, as I said, six RBI. So those two guys I think you'd expect to see every single game, basically, uh, and then what you saw from Braswell. After a slow kind of start maybe to the season offensively, a really nice bounce back. Yeah, Braswell was better this past weekend. Um, he sat out Saturday's game. I think that kind of helped him reset a little bit because uh, I think he had one good game on, what was it, Thursday, hit the home run. Um, Friday, he didn't really do much of anything. Well, no one really did anything on Friday except for Kling, um, when they lost that game. And then Saturday he sat, and then Sunday he played. He probably had his best game of the year with a triple. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think the good signs with him is that he's hitting for power. He's hitting balls into gaps. He has a home run. He had one home run all of last season in South Carolina. He already has one at LSU. That's a good sign. He has a triple, an opposite, that was opposite field, driven into the gap. Probably was helped by the wind a little bit. Like, that ball was hanging out there. But at the same time, you know, he, hit, he was hitting the ball in the air, uh, which is a good sign because he was hitting the ball on the ground too much at South Carolina. And one of the adjustments they've tried to make with him is to leave with his hips more, um, activate his core, activate his lower half better, and to lift balls for doubles, home runs, et cetera, et cetera. They already like his approach to the plate. They already like the fact that he takes walks and um, – has a good eye at the plate and and that's usually but but like that was actually kind of a problem for him in the first weekend that he was being too aggressive early in counts um and uh just not taking advantage of um uh, that some of the weaker pitching that they have and just being you know swinging too early in the count and um that was kind of a problem again for him on friday but it's at the same time like him and the rest of the team really turned that around um, yesterday, uh, yesterday on Sunday. So yeah, and and, I, and with Tommy, yes, he was better this weekend. I still don't think he's a hundred percent there because he's not really hitting the ball hard the opposite uh, the other way yet. And when Tommy's right, it's when he's you know jacking home runs, um, jacking home runs the right field as a right-handed hitter. So uh, until we see that, and he's hitting ropes to the right to the right side on the opposite field. He's not pulling those outside pitches. Um, that's when that's when we'll know he's right, because right now he's still pulling too many pitches, um, too many outside pitches, and, and, and basically rolling over on that on that stuff, uh, off-speed pitches in particular. So, yeah, I, I'm still, I, I think we're still waiting for Tommy to be Tommy again. Um, but this week went, weekend was a good step forward for Braswell. And the fact that he's hitting for power, I think, is just a good sign in general for him. Quick one for you here before we let you run, Koki. I want to get your crystal ball prediction, I guess you could say, for Friday's starter against Texas. Is it going to be Thatcher Hurd? Is it going to be Luke Holman? Uh, maybe you could throw Gage Jump in that. I don't think he's going to be the starter. I think it's probably going to be one of those two guys. Uh, just get an early prediction. I know it's Monday. We're looking at a Friday, and we are looking also past Rice, which I shouldn't do given how Rice has played just this past weekend in Lafayette. Uh, but, yeah, who do you think is going to be the Friday night starter against Texas? 
Yeah, Rice is interesting because they actually beat UL two out of three Correct. Um, this past weekend. So, Great pitching the, as well. So there's going to be – yeah, exactly. And uh, and um, that's going to be on the road. And my guess is Kate Anderson starts Wednesday um, just to be a complete scare. Uh, I think Luke Holman starts Friday. I, again, he's just been the best starter on this team so far to start the season. I don't think it's particularly close. And um, I think he's kind of earned that right – the pitch against Texas, which is going to be the biggest non-conference game LSU will play all year um, before the NCAA tournament, at least. So you have that. And then uh, heard Saturday, jump Sunday, something like that. Uh, that, that. That would be my guess as to what it could be. But um, as you know, Jay Johnson keeps, keeps everything pretty close to the vest when it comes to that sort of stuff. So um, we'll see. Koki, awesome stuff, as always, from you. Appreciate talking ball. Are you going to be making this road trip to Houston? Yes, I'll be uh, making the drive tomorrow. Man right. Made Park is a great guys. place to watch a game. And I know I'm biased because oh, yeah. I'm an Astros fan, but it's, it's a <laughs> great park. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I've been once. It was a uh, really, cool really cool park, so I'm looking forward to going again. Enjoy it all, Koki. Thank you so much for the time. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. That's Koki Riley, LSU baseball and football writer for the Times-Picayune and The Advocate, stepping away to take a break and be right back with more Sports Talk after this on WWL. Back here on Sports Talk and checking in on the Oakland Hard Jewelers talk and text line. Going to go to Jimmy and Gretna. What you got for us tonight, Jimmy? Hey, what's going on, man? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. Look, I went to the Pelicans-Bulls game last night, and that's the reason I called besides all the other stuff. And by the way, for all the Cajun fans in Thibodeau, Louisiana, listening on 870 AM tonight, my Southern Miss Golden Eagles are playing you guys in baseball tomorrow night. Nickel State versus Southern Miss in Biloxi at the Shuckers Baseball Stadium. So anybody who likes college baseball, if you're a Nichols fan or you're a Southern Miss fan listening, uh, Nichols and Southern Miss tomorrow night, Charlie, at the uh, – I don't know what the name of that stadium is. I think MGM or something. Wherever the Shuckers play at next to the casinos. Right there on the beach tomorrow. I'm going to go check that out. I went to the game last night, okay? And I know everybody, you know, Zion is complaining. He's getting mugged, you know, hack a shack. And, you know, big guys like Shaq and Zion, you know, it seems like people just kind of bounce off of them. So they're getting fouled, but it doesn't really look like it because they're so strong looking. And, you know, plus we're playing in a small market. My question to you guys is this. You know, we saw with Chris Paul what happened here. You know, the reality is here. And let me add one thing. Okay, last night was half empty, which is a shame right now. Um, you know, I went with my family. I know it was a weekend, really a Sunday night. But to have all the excuses over with, Charlie and Steve, okay, yeah. no Mardi Gras anymore. There's It's perfect weather, 72 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. Um, it's not the holidays. It's not New Year's. It's not Valentine's. It's not oh, well, it's Saint season and LSU and all this other stuff. All the excuses are over, okay? For all the listening audience, we have an attendance issue. We always have down here. This is the first time, Charlie, in what, a decade? We've been, what, 10 games over 500? At the All-Star break, uh, the yeah, team, that's what it was. That's pretty good considering we're a small market that doesn't get a lot of referee calls, right? Like <laughs> right. New York and L.A. and LeBron James and all that, okay? So – a lot of talent. They're playing well. I know people call in and complain about Willie Green. Willie Green's the best coach we've had ever, period, out of the Hornets and Pelicans tenure here. We've always had retrade guys who were at the back end of their career taking blood pressure pills. Okay? Alvin Gentry, 
Paul Silas, guys who they, they didn't want to be home with their wives or whatever was going on, and they're used to being on the road. They didn't know any better. God bless them, but they were retreads. Okay, Willie Green, he's not perfect. Yeah, they blew a lead last night. But then again, the referees don't give us the calls, and that's the reason I called up. We've seen Chris Paul, you know, play his way out of here. Because mm-hmm. it's frustrating being a Hall of Fame talent in a small market city. We saw definitely with Anthony Davis – and, you know, LeBron James' agent got in his ear said, hey, come out to L.A., you're going to get the calls here. I mean, the reality is this. Last night's game, there were about four no calls on Zion getting hacked. Okay, those four no calls, Charlie and Steve, would have been eight free throw shots, right? So yeah. that could have been up to eight more points on his points per game average, which would have bumped him up as a – instead of being a kind of an all-star borderline guy at a small market, the agents are telling him, hey, look, you can come to L.A. or New York – like Chris Paul or, or uh, Anthony Davis did, pair yourself up with a LeBron James, get into a big market, sell more jerseys, get your numbers up, because you're not going to get those calls in a small market. My question to you guys is this. Because we're a small market, and, you know, the argument is, well, Shake uh, Alexander over there in OKC, he's getting calls and all this kind of stuff. Is it because Zion's so big and muscular looking that he doesn't get the call, i.e. like Shaq? Or is the fact that it's hard for a star in a small market like New Orleans to get the respect that the bigger markets seem to get. Because when you play for the Lakers or Knicks or Bulls, even though the Bulls aren't really that great this year, they get the calls. We saw that last night. So I think, and what this could lead to is the frustration and, you know, the agents talking in ears saying, Hey, look, you need to go ahead and bolt. We saw with Chris Paul, we saw with Davis. And I think Zion wants to be here, but I think what I'm saying is, over time, it, it it wears on a star player being in a market that doesn't get the calls, you know, and we saw that last night. Do you guys think that's because New Orleans isn't, quote, a basketball city? And why isn't the city stepping up right now and packing this place out? Well, to me, it definitely seems like I would agree that Zion – and the rest of this Pella squad is not getting calls right now at the NBA. For what reason? I don't know. And I know that uh, head coach Willie Green and the players don't want to talk too much about it because they're going to end up getting fined. We've heard Green say, though, they sent footage to the NBA to check out you know, why this has been the case. It's really frustrating. I know for the fan base, I know for me, for Charlie watching the games, and for the, it's got to be for the players as well. As for attendance, man, I don't know what it's going to take except for winning to pack the Smoothie King Center out. The Pelicans have been doing that, and I guess, you know, the lesser teams in the NBA, for whatever reason, don't draw that much of a crowd. But I'm telling you, if this Pels team can start winning consistently, putting those streaks together, maybe we'll see that Smoothie King packed out on even a Sunday night. We're running late here. Be back with more on Sports Talk right after this on WWL. Closing things out here on the 6 o'clock hour of, six o'clock hour of Sports Talk. We'll be back with more on Sports Talk right after the news break. Going to talk to NFL draft analyst from ESPN, Matt Miller. You hear with me and St. Sideline reporter Jeff Nowak had to say with him right after this on WWL. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices, anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.